Well, good evening. I would encourage you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 39. In just a moment, we will begin reading from God's Word in Jeremiah chapter 38, not 39, 38. Off to a great start. Thank you to the shepherds of the church here once again for the invitation to be with you again. Two years ago, I became one of the shepherds of the Annandale Church. I have two years of experience shepherding, and I will tell you that preaching is fun. Shepherding is work. I love your shepherds. I believe they love you. And I want to encourage you to love them for their work's sake. I don't know that I love and respect anyone more than I do the Buntings. And it is a blessing for me and for my wife to be with them again. First time meeting the Pings, love them. Thank you for all the kind words that you have expressed to us this week. It ought to be this way, but it's not always. We, we are on the same team. We are preaching the same Christ and the same gospel. And when preachers encourage other preachers, that's good stuff. And I am encouraged by Leland and by David, and I appreciate that very, very much. I want to tell you that I did not come here with the intention to preach as long as I have preached every night, and I blame you. If you didn't listen so well, I wouldn't have preached as long as I have preached. It is an absolute joy to preach here because you listen so well. And I want to commend you for that. There are a lot of good things about the church here. I want to encourage you to excel still more. I want to encourage you to be vigilant. I want to encourage you to be steadfast and immovable. I want to encourage you to be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. And I want to encourage you to grow in His grace and in His knowledge to continue to love Him with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and to love one another, to continue to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and to recognize that what you have here is special. And, and the, more, the more special what you have here becomes, the harder the enemy is going to work to destroy it. And so every day we have to be strong in Him. We have to be Strengthening ourselves in Him, in, in, in His power and His might. We have to put on His armor and we have to pray. And so every day remember that our enemy doesn't sleep. He's not flesh and blood. And he is like a roaring lion in that he is seeking to devour us. He's seeking to devour you and 
and your family and your brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's never going to stop. And so we can never stop trusting in the Lord and fearing him and turning away from evil. The hope that we have is that he's going to be with us every step of the way. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's from everlasting to everlasting, the great I Am, the God of the present tense. But if he is going to be among us and work in our lives, we have to be in his will. And thanks be to God, by his grace, he's revealed his will to us so that we can know it and so that we can be in it. And so I commend our great God and his great word to you. Tonight, by way of encouragement, we're going to talk about a conversation that takes place in Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning in verse 14, between the final king of the southern kingdom of Judah, who was appointed to be the king by the Babylonians themselves. Ezekiel is already down by the Kabar River. Daniel has already been in the... Uh, Babylonian palace for quite some time, but Jeremiah remains in Jerusalem, and Ezekiel has a lot to say about Zedekiah, and one of the things that he has to say about him is he doesn't even acknowledge his kingship. He, He calls him a prince, and so what's happening in in Jeremiah chapter 38 is Zedekiah is being threatened by the Babylonians, and he, and he sends for, for Jeremiah the prophet. And so let's begin reading in, in Jeremiah 38, verse 14. The king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something, hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, will you not listen to me? So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, verse 17, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. I want to pause in verse 17, and I I want you to see that what Jeremiah says to Zedekiah on behalf of the true and living God is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to surrender to the Babylonians. And he tells him in verse 17, if you surrender to the Babylonians, then then you're going to live. And not only that, but the city of Jerusalem, it will not be burned with fire. And you and your house shall live. The Babylonian captivity is inevitable. I mean, we've already had the first wave and the second wave, and, and, and they're going. They're, they're going to Babylon. They're going into Babylonian captivity. But what he is saying to King Zedekiah in Jeremiah 38, verse 17, is that if you will obey the Lord in this, that when those 70 years of captivity are over, then you will have a home to come home to. You see that? But then in verse 18, he says, But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. 
And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, verse 20, and here is the verse in which we draw the title of our study tonight. Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah in verse 20, They shall not deliver you. Please. Please. Obey. The voice of the Lord. Which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you. And your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. The prophet Ezekiel gives us some insight into the heart of God during this event. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, as Ezekiel is down by the river, the Kabar River, he would say to the people of God, this is what you need to understand about the heart of the true and living God. Say this to them, Ezekiel. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? In Second Chronicles chapter 36, we are given insight into the heart of Zedekiah during this time. Zedekiah, Jeremiah, tell me what to do. Here's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to surrender to the Babylonians. And the reason why he wants you to surrender to the Babylonians is because he doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn, turn, and live. And so the Spirit tells us in 2 Chronicles 36, verse 11, that Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear an oath by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And so now we turn our attention to Jeremiah chapter 39 and we read about what King Zedekiah chose to do. Here's the choice. Surrender to the Babylonians and live and your house and your family shall live and the city of Jerusalem will not be destroyed and when the 70 years of captivity are completed, then you will have a home to come home to. Jeremiah chapter 30, 
9, beginning in verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 4, so it was when Zedekiah, the king of Judah, and all the men of war saw them that they fled and went out of the city by night by way of the king's garden, by, by the gate between the two walls, and he went out by the way of the plain. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. Chapter 52, verse 11. Jeremiah 52, verse 11. From Jerusalem, Zedekiah was called to surrender to the Babylonians. He chose to flee. Instead of obey. In Ezekiel chapter 12 and in verses 12 and 13, I'm not asking you to turn there. You can make a note of this. In Ezekiel chapter 12 and in verses 12 and 13, Ezekiel prophesied that Zedekiah would uh, flee, that he would attempt to flee. And, and, And Ezekiel describes the route that Zedekiah takes that's described in Jeremiah chapter 39. And then Ezekiel prophesies something very interesting about Zedekiah in in Ezekiel 12, 12, and 13. He says that he will be taken to Babylon, but that he will never see it. Ezekiel says this is what's going to happen. Jeremiah is going to say to Zedekiah, please obey, and he's not going to obey. And so as a result, he's going to He's going to try to get out of Jerusalem before the Babylonians can capture him. He's going to get captured, and they're going to carry him to Babylon, but he's never going to see Babylon. Well, how could somebody that can see be taken to Babylon and not see it? Jeremiah 52, if we look at verse 10 before we look at verse 11, the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah and Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah, and the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon, and put him in prison till the day of his death. I want to encourage you now to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
And as we think about all this, for just a second, we just sort of let it, let it sink in. The Lord uses Jeremiah to say to Zedekiah, please obey. We've been thinking about turning away from evil, and God has called us to turn away from, from evil, to fear him and to keep his commandments. And from the beginning, he's been telling us about his commandments, that they're for our good always, that there is, there's a blessing in obedience. And Jeremiah says, listen, Zedekiah, please, please obey You're going to spare yourself. You're going to spare your house. You're going to spare the city. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Babylonian captivity is going to be hard, but God has promised us. He already sent them a letter. He already sent a letter down to, to those who are already there, not to lose hope, to pray for the peace of the city, that in 70 years that we're, we're going to come home, that a remnant shall return. Zedekiah, please obey. And so he chose not to obey, and he fled Jerusalem, and they captured him. He took him to Riblah, and at Riblah, the last thing he saw was them kill his sons before his eyes. And then they blinded him and took him to Babylon, and he died there, blind and broken. And all of that, all of that could have been avoided if he had just obeyed the command to surrender to the Babylonians. And so here is the lesson of the hour, beloved. There is something worse than this. If you have lost a child, I cannot begin to imagine your pain. I have not had that experience. I got a list of things that I don't want to experience in life, and that's pretty high on the list. And the last thing I, I want to see are my children murdered before me, and then that be the last thing that I ever see. But I want to tell you tonight, as bad as that is, there is something worse than that. When we turn our attention to Second Thessalonians, chapter 1, what we have is information that pertains to God's eternal purpose. And so the first coming of Jesus is about salvation. The second coming of Jesus is about judgment. Jesus came in humility. He is coming again in glory. And when he comes again in, in, in glorious judgment, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, it's going to be a righteous thing for him to repay with tribulation those who have troubled his people. And he's going to give those who have been troubled rest. Jesus would tell us in John 16 verse 33, in the world you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have pressure, you're going to have struggle, you're going to have disappointment, you're going to have hardships. But in me you can have peace, my peace I leave with you. I have overcome the world and in me you can overcome too. But in this life we are not living on a playground, we are living our lives on a battlefield and we are going to suffer because the one that we follow suffered and the world hated him and the world is going to hate us and so we shouldn't think it strange that those who hated him hate us and that those who persecuted him persecute us and so... 
The Lord hasn't promised that he's going to build a hedge around us to keep us from all that. But what he has promised is that we are more than conquerors in it. And that ultimately he's going to deliver us from it. And that when we are delivered once and for all, that we are going to rest. And that rest is coming, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And when he comes the final time, he's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those, number one, who do not know God. Well, Zedekiah knew God. And that is why he is calling Jeremiah secretly. He's saying, Jeremiah, I know who you are, and I know who the true and living God is, and so I want you to tell me the truth. And Jeremiah says, I don't know if I believe that or not. He says, okay, well, secretly, I want to come over here, I want to pull you aside, and I want to assure you, I really mean it. I really want you to tell me. And Jeremiah says, okay, well, here it is. And Zedekiah hedges his bets. And what does Jeremiah say to him? He says, please, please obey. Beloved, there is something worse than going from Ribla to Babylon and everything that happened in between those things. And Zedekiah experienced his judgment in time because he didn't obey And so Jesus is coming again, and he's going to take vengeance on those who do not know God, number one, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, number two. And then I want you to see verse nine. And just let this information wash over you. These, those who do not know God and haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Watch this from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. The fact of the matter is, Jesus would tell us in the Gospels that none of us have ever, for one second in our lives, ever been outside of the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, you know what God does? He makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. There are things that God has done, Acts chapter 13, in which he, and into 14, that he has not left himself without witness. This world may lie under the sway of the wicked one. But as we sing from time to time, this is my Father's world. In him we live and move and have our very being. And there are those, Acts 17, that don't know him, but what are they told? As the Holy Spirit uses Paul to preach the true and living God in Athens, he is not far from any one of us in hope that we would seek him and that we would grope for him in full assurance of faith that we would find him. What makes hell Hell, God is not there. What makes heaven heaven? God is there. The glorious hope that we have, Revelation 22, 4, is that we're going to behold the face of our Jesus. Heaven is the Abode, it is the dwelling place of God, it is where He is. 
And the judgment of Jesus Christ is is a day in which he separates the saved from the lost. He separates the good from the evil. He separates those who have feared him and kept his commandments from those who have rejected the knowledge of him. Romans 1, 18 through 32. And because they have rejected the knowledge of him, they have just gone on and thought up all kinds of stuff that never even entered into his mind. And a day of reckoning is coming. But the hope of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is that we can repent of whatever our sin is, 1 Thessalonians 1.9, and we can turn to, the, to, to serve the true and the living God. And 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, we can be saved through Jesus from the wrath to come. Make no mistake about it. There are a lot of things that, that go on in this world that God doesn't like. And someone says, well, why doesn't God do something about all of the sin in this world? And I want to tell you tonight that he has some, done something about all the sin in this world. He sent Jesus to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice, to bear his wrath for the sins of those who would believe in him so that we might be delivered from the wrath that is to come. That's what God has already done about all of this sin. And so the call of the first three chapters of Romans is to believe in him, to believe in his sacrifice, to believe in his person and in his work, that we would come to know him and that we would come to believe in him and that we would come to obey his gospel. So as we think about obeying the gospel for just a minute tonight, I want to encourage you to think about this. The gospel contains three facets. The gospel contains facts that are to be believed. The gospel contains commands that are to be obeyed. And the gospel contains promises that are to be received. You don't obey facts, you just believe them. And so there are some primary facts that the Holy Spirit would say to us, this is what's of first importance, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Okay, so the first thing we've got to come to terms with is who is this person, who is this man that died and was buried and that rose again? And that's why 1 Corinthians 1 would begin with, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach the person and the work of Jesus. So there are some facts about Jesus that we need to believe. But you don't obey facts, you just believe them. And so the gospel contains commands that are to be obeyed. And we're going to look at those commands in just a second, but listen, that's what King Zedekiah failed to do. He believed in the right God. He believed in the right prophet. But what Zedekiah failed to do was obey. And so 2 Thessalonians 1.8 would say that we need to know God, but we also need to obey the gospel. Well, we don't obey facts, we obey commands. And so therefore, there must be some commands that pertain to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why this matters. Zedekiah did not receive the blessing of the promise that Jeremiah set before him because he did not 
obey. Do you see the progression? The progression is, here's what God wants you to believe. Think about it. Meditate upon it. Take your intellect and take the facts that he has given you and reason them over in your mind. Come to know them and and believe them. And as you come to know God, the God who is love, then what God wants you to do in return is to love him back. He wants you to trust him with all of you. Whatever you are, God wants you to love him and trust him with that. And then God wants you to recognize that he has a will and he created you in his image. So therefore, you have a will. And what God wants you to do in your life is to conform your will to his. And we have the greatest example of all when it comes to what that looks like in the person of the true and living God's only begotten Son. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray three times as he was preparing himself to drink the cup of God's wrath? Not my will, but your will be done. With the will, we obey and we serve and we do. And so what does God want? God wants your heart And your heart consists of your intellect, it consists of your emotion, it consists of your will. And the conscience that is within you, here's my definition of conscience. My conscience is that little voice inside of my head that only I can hear. That's my conscience. And I'll tell you what God wants you to do with, with your conscience. He doesn't want you to... Live according to your conscience. He wants you to conform your conscience to His holy, righteous, just standard. That's what God wants you to do with your conscience. There are a lot of people running around talking about, well, it doesn't bother my conscience to think about this or to talk about that or to do that. Well, it should. And the reason it doesn't is not God's fault, it's your fault. Because you have not conformed your your conscience to the right standard. And if you have resisted God and His standard over and over and over again, then you have participated in this grand deception of the enemy in which you, little by little, harden your conscience against God and beloved. If that's where you are tonight, you need to stop that. You need to stop that right now before that goes any further. Because the further you go down that road, the harder it is to turn around and come back. And the Spirit would tell us that there is a point that you can come to in which there is no coming back from that. The conscience is the inner judge that approves and or disapproves. It does not set the standard. It applies the adopted standard of good, evil, or right, wrong. I love you so much because I just think that you're just real people. I mean, I've been around a lot of people at this point in my life, and I've been around a lot of people that they they weren't even real people. They were just plastic people, and I don't like plastic people. I like real people. And, you know, I'm not from Middle Tennessee, but I'm from Northwest Alabama, and I grew up. In a culture in which there was right and wrong. 
And I believe you believe that too. And you believe that too because we're reading the same book that that describes the true and living God who is good and he is defined right and he is defined wrong and the glorious opportunity that we have because God has spoken and in his grace he's revealed his will to us is that we can know it and we can escape the wrath to come. And so what are the commands of the gospel? If you believe, if you repent, if you confess me, I will confess you. The commands appeal to our heart. God is appealing to that part of your heart that is your intellect. He is appealing to that part of your heart that is, that is your emotion. He's appealing to that part of your heart that is your will. In confession with the mouth unto salvation, we are pledging allegiance to Jesus. We are saying to, to Jesus, you are mine. And what Jesus has promised us, if we obey that, is that he will profess his allegiance to us, not before men. He asked us to do it before men in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. But what he has said to us is, I'll do it before our God and Father in heaven. And then baptism, what is the point of baptism? The point of baptism, 1 Peter 3, verse 21, is that baptism is the answer of a good conscience. And so when Saul of Tarsus had lived his life in all good conscience up until the day that Jesus shone the glorious light of himself upon him, Saul of Tarsus not for one minute in his heart thought, I'm not doing right in all this. The first thing he had to do when he came to understand who Jesus is is repent. He had to repent of what he believed about Jesus. He had to change what he believed about Jesus. And he had to confess Jesus as his Lord and his Savior and as, and as the Son of God. And so as Saul of Tarsus recounts his obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would say to us that the Spirit told Ananias to go and tell Paul, here's what you need to do. You need to call upon the name of the Lord... And you need to be baptized into Christ for the purpose of Jesus' blood to wash away your sin. What is baptism? 1 Peter 3.21 The baptism that saves is the baptism that is the answer of a good conscience. I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse my heart. And as the Hebrew writer would tell us in Hebrews 9, 14, there is no other cleaning agent given under heaven that can cleanse our conscience save the blood of Jesus. And that's when he does it. When we believe those facts and when we obey those commands, we are saved by grace through faith. And it's after we believe and obey that we receive the promises. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's after we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ that we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus But there is a progression, and the progression is the same as we see in Jeremiah chapter 38. Here's the will of God for you. Do you believe the facts? Are you willing to obey the commands in order to receive the promises? And the conclusion of the whole matter tonight is, please 
obey. There's something worse than what happened to Zedekiah. And what's worse is spending all of eternity in what is referred to in the New Covenant as the blackness of the darkness forever. I can see, I have always been able to see, I hope I never go blind. There are things that I like looking at. I I, I like being able to see. I like the light. Why is hell described as the blackness of the darkness forever? Because God is light. And He is not there. That's what makes hell, hell. You're going to be removed from the presence of God and all that is going to remain is darkness. And the darkness that Zedekiah experienced in his life up until the day he died, there's something worse than that. It's the blackness of the darkness forever. And so we began our lessons by talking about how God has just made everything so simple for us. There's just two, there's just two options every time. And when it comes to Jesus... And when it comes to his gospel and the facts that he wants you to believe and the commands that he wants you to obey and the promises that he's, the rewards and all that that he's promised to give you if you believe and obey, when Jesus speaks, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to harden your heart. You're going to resist. You're going to kick against the pricks. That's a fun word study to do and find out what that means if you're not familiar with all that business. That's what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus. Is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Yeah, it was hard for him to do that. And it's hard for you to sit there too. If you know the truth about Jesus and you know the truth about your sin and I get up here and Leland gets up here and David gets up here and everybody else that gets up here and starts talking to you about you need to act on what you know. The longer you wait to act, the harder your heart becomes And so when Jesus speaks, you're either going to harden your heart or you're going to be broken and contrite. My favorite verse in all of the Bible is Isaiah 57 verse 15. And what Isaiah 57 verse 15 tells us about the true and living God is that he is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity and his name is holy. And the truth is there could be a period right there at the end of that. But there's not a period The rest of Isaiah 57 verse 15 says that he chooses, he chooses to come down to the level of those who are broken and contrite. If you will humble yourself before the Lord, the promise of James chapter 4 is that he will lift you up. Up, And you don't have to wonder if God is willing to come down to save you because he did just that in Jesus. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He was born of a virgin. God didn't just send another prophet. He didn't just send another priest. He didn't just send another king. He sent his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for you. He came for you. Don't harden your heart against him. Be broken and contrite before him and recognize that when he says to you, come to me, he's presenting a choice to you. 
And you're only going to do one of two things. You're either going to be like Zedekiah and you're going to spend the rest of your life on earth in darkness, in spiritual darkness. Or you are going to spend the rest of your life in spiritual darkness and then you're going to spend eternity in the blackness of the darkness forever. We're not told that Zedekiah repented as... He lived out his last days in Babylon. I sure hope he did. And I want to tell you tonight, if he did, he was forgiven. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. There's not a one of us that's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ without sin. The only hope that we have in him is that by his grace, through his faith, he remembers them against us no more. And you know what? He's promised to do just that. If we will believe and we will obey and we will keep trusting and keep receiving the blessings here on earth till he comes. If we can help you to obey Jesus in whatever form that is going to take for you tonight, won't you come? While we stand together and sing to encourage you to do just that. To let him take your life and to let it be. Let's stand and sing together.